Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name's Adam. My name's Jeremy. Happy New Year, Jeremy. Happy New Year, Adam. We, uh, we're back from like a, a couple of weeks off and, uh, you know, a little behind the scenes here. Normally we have a couple of episodes in the can, but we have zero episodes in the can. This is it. This is like, this is like the second week of 2022. And, uh, yeah, I don't know when this is coming out. The well, the well is dry, Adam. This is, this is fresh. Yeah. So now we can have, uh, topical jokes and information and it be relevant to the release. <laughs> Exactly. Until somebody's listening to it a year later and they're like, what do you, what? Omicron, what? On the other hand, this episode might uh, come out six weeks from now, in which case we'll have several in the can and it'll be back to normal and then just ignore all that. Yeah, yeah. And we'll be like, hey, Adam, did you see that new movie? And Yeah, the movie uh, I don't know what's coming out six weeks from now. <laughs> two months uh, ago. But anyway, yeah, here we we're, are. Uh, yeah, we're back. It's, uh, it's another B-Sides. Woo. B-Sides. We got a handful of stuff to cover. Yeah, so let's just jump right into it. Uh, I suggest we start uh, with everybody's favorite, uh, probably the most inform- or most uh, entertaining, uh, New Mutants number ninety nine. Okay. <laughs> uh, I have a lot to say about this, and, and most of it's not going to be about the story. Let's just talk about the cover. Let's. Well, there's a lot of continuity issues. Sure. Let's let's talk about the cover. What you got, Evan? So- it's it's an homage to X Men 138. I, I looked it up. I don't remember if that's what oh, issue it, it is. Oh, it's where Kitty it leaves, right? No, it's where Scott leaves. Oh yeah. Uh, Exit Cyclops, I believe, yeah. is the cover. It's a John Byrne cover. It's got uh, it's got everybody standing in the background at their various heights, which doesn't for some reason works better than this. Um, everybody looks weirdly. Boom 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 is kneeling because Nightcrawler is kneeling in that version of it. You know, the one thing that this cover is missing is uh, win a Toys R Us shopping spree. Grand prize minimum value $3,000 details inside at the very it's al- top. It's also missing all the cool layout of um, old issues covers, o- old covers of old issues in the background. Yeah, and it's 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 not like they couldn't have no. done it because the background is stark white. They have... 98 issues of covers that they could have used. There's probably some some really decent ones that they could have slapped on the back, especially since it's Sunspot leaving, right? You could throw a bunch of... It's probably been on the cover at least, I don't know, nine times to, to create that collage, but... Uh, you're right, puts, I, I guess... The original I ne- puts the characters in shadow, which I think works a little better than this, where yeah. they're kind of just exposed. I... I, uh, I think I felt that there was a similarity in this cover to something, but I wasn't able to put my uh, thumb on it until you mentioned that it was X-Men 138. And as I'm looking at them, um, yeah, it's definitely an homage. Uh, The other thing that I think works a little bit better in the favor of X-Men 138 is that those silhouetted characters um, are, are seem to be way off in the background and don't really go above Cyclops's knee. So right. they're a lot smaller in the frame than Cyclops is, whereas this, uh, they're they're about double that height. There's still some size issues with the original one, where because like Colossus is huge and Wolverine is tiny, but I think that's kind of more intentional. Whereas this, everybody just has ridiculously long legs. <laughs> well, it's it's uh, it's Rob Liefeld. So Boom Boom crouching is under just about everybody's crotch. 
Well, but I think that's consistent with Nightcrawler. Yeah, I think he's also under everybody's crutch. So that's not necessarily Rob Liefeld's fault. Everybody looks like they have enormous legs in this, which they don't look like that in the burn cover. And actually in the signature, it says Liefeld after burn. Oh, sure. Sure. It's probably what tipped me off. So we have Cable. We've got Domino, Cannonball, Boom Boom. And of course, Sunspot walking off into the distance. Uh, And then who's this? Who's this other guy that's huge next to Cable? James Proudstar. I don't know what his code name is. Is he on the team? He might be just be Proudstar. Well, we'll find out in this issue. <laughs> it's just kind of a weird, like, if you're a New Mutants fan, you're like, wait, what? Who's this guy? You gotta have somebody else, otherwise it'd just be the four of them. Uh, yeah, I, I get it, but, you know, I think in the 138 cover, it's like these people that you've gone on adventures with, and they're mourning the loss of their leader as he heads off for new adventures, and in here you're like, okay... Uh, some bunch of new characters and a guy we haven't really seen. Yeah. So, so it's weird, but this is... I really don't know who Don, Domino is either, I suppose. Yeah, it wasn't... She just introduced last issue. Like two issues ago. Yeah. Uh, the cover does proclaim that this is the penultimate issue, so spoilers, issue 100 is is it. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually own issue 100. I think I own it as well in multiple variations. I think one of the silver sort of second printings, I think I own the first printing as well. But didn't isn't that another one where they printed like 500,000 copies and it's not worth anything? I don't know. I <laughs> purchased it. I purchased the first print at like a Rite Aid or something. So it's probably not worth anything because it probably came with uh, bad spine damage. But mm-hmm. You know, this was at the time that I didn't really care so much. Right. I probably only bought it because I thought it would be worth something at some point. I mean, I bought it because I knew it was the last issue and I knew it was leading up to X-Force. Yeah. I think that was well advertised at the time. So, yeah, let's let's open this thing up. Uh, we're, well, we're introduced to a new character named feral but at, initially i was like oh are they bringing wolfsbane back because i don't remember any of this stuff but there's a there's basically a what i would classify as a liefeld wolfsbane designed woman i'm not really sure why this is necessary well she becomes guess, part of the team doesn't she yeah she does but why not just use wolfsbane i guess because he wanted a more violent sort of character but it's comics so you could just do that to wolfsbane but i get then i guess maybe fans would get upset i don't know uh, I, don't, I don't know what the thinking is behind creating a character that is exactly like another character yeah yeah i don't know if she can turn into a wolf and a human but right now she's kind of in the uh the hybrid form that uh, uh rain can take uh but it would have been an interesting story for maybe for this whole thing, for Sunspot to have made it back to Genosha, rescue Rain, find some machine to try to restore her personality, things go wrong, and now she's sort of a, a larger, more violent uh, iteration uh, of her previous self, which could have been an interesting thing. Then you could bring Moira into it more and be like, oh, my adopted child is so violent now. What happened to you? But they didn't. Yeah, I, I feel like Rob Liefeld just wants to get away from the New Mutants. I think you're right, yeah. But then why is he keeping Cannonball and Boom Boom? Well, Boom Boom's sort of a recent addition to the team, right? She came in around issue 70 or something like that. Um, and Cannonball, maybe he, he just, maybe that was uh, Louis Simonson's like 
fine. You can have the book, but you have to keep Cannonball. <laughs> All right, fine. Is she even writing this issue? No, Isn't it's, she... it's Fabian Nicesia. Okay, so she's she's out. But that was that was the condition of her being like, okay, fine. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyways, uh, yeah. So this person named Farrell is being uh, chased by Mask and some other Morlocks. Uh, they want. Uh, Mask wants her to join their army, and she wants nothing to do with it. Farrell's got some big hair. She does. Uh, she kicks Mask across the face in in a like a letterboxed two page panel. Doesn't quite take up both pages, uh, and there there's just like legs everywhere. I gotta admit, I kind of like her hair. It's it's got that cool uh, double white stripe in it. Yeah. It's, it's neat. It's, yeah. you know, it's a classic Wolverine hair taken to the nth degree, but yeah, I, it's, I'm a, it's a little different. guessing that, you know, Rob made his little sketchbook of Feral and Domino and uh, uh, Deadpool and Gideon and another guy that we see at the end of this issue. I can't remember his name. Uh, and Bob Harris or Tom DeFalco was like, those are cool. Use them. <laughs> okay. So she escapes. Uh, and I think this is probably trying to set up some sort of a mask Morlock confrontation that maybe we see in the pages of X-Force, but I don't recall. Yeah, I don't, I don't remember much about it at all. We may just see it in the next issue of New Mutants. That could be. And it uh, gets resolved super quickly. It could be, because Mask there, is, as Feral escapes, uh, he's just like, mm, I'll get you, my pretty. And then the issue starts with the beginning of the end, part two, in which Cable is having some lunch with uh, James Proudstar at the Tavern on the Green. I'm currently in control of what is left of Charles Xavier's school. It's weird that he, Cable still associates with that. Yeah, he uh, it basically boils down to Cable saying, look, there are three paths. War, doing nothing, or I guess there are five kinds of mutants. The mollifiers, the abusers, the used, the hunted, the hidden. I'm trying to create a sixth kind, the survivors. Trying to prepare you for a very bleak future. So you can do nothing. Or you can join us. And he's like, I don't know, man. I've been part of this Hellions thing for a while. Didn't really work out. I'm going to go back to my reservation and just kind of like live my life. And so off he goes. There's only five kinds of mutants? <laughs> I guess. I don't, I don't know who the mollifiers are. The abusers? Uh, the used? The hunted? The hidden? I don't know. All of those could just be like the Morlocks. Like five different variations of Morlocks. Although I don't know what mollifiers means. I'm looking it up. Uh, that's that's a math term. Did I spell it wrong? <laughs> Definition of mollifier. To calm the anger of. To, oh, that's mollified. Okay. Well. So, so I guess somebody is somebody who uh, a mollifier with somebody who brings the the temperature of things down a little bit. So maybe he's calms. Maybe, so somebody who's trying, maybe Charles Xavier right. is a mollifier. Right. The X-Men, the uh, X factor, like they're not getting the job done because they're taking this pansy route of trying to make things. Okay. And you've got all these other bad guys with these uh, different descriptions, but X, the new mutants soon to be X force. We're going to be the survivors. We're going to go to war. Okay. <laughs> 
Gideon somehow has a magic invisible camera that is flat on cable watching him. Uh, and he's like, very good, James Proudstar. I'll get you. Uh, you know, maybe he owns the restaurant that they're at. <laughs> uh, the camera is pointing at Cable's head at his height straight on. Now, it could be zoomed in, of course. It's zoomed in. It's got to be. <laughs> but it, if you were to do like a modern day version of this would be a security camera sort of off in the corner, sort of seeing maybe top down uh, head and shoulders type of thing. But this is like. That's like, realistic. The, the camera's like right in his face. Um, if, if if we did that, we might not recognize that it was cable. Right, right. Uh, so then Adam, uh, the the guy with the blonde buzz cut and silver suit, interrupts him to let him know that uh, Sunspot is here. He's like, well, all right, I guess there was nothing interesting on TV. Or I guess there was something interesting on TV. And he asks if it was the Playboy channel. Wah, wah. Uh, and he says, actually, something on closed circuit channel. I spy my own personal station. They know their audience, I guess. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. So Gideon basically convinces Sunspot that he has to come and take care of his father's business. It seems like there's a relationship between these characters, but I don't know what it is. They know each other. <laughs> yeah I think that, that's pretty much it i mean you know we saw that roberto's father reported to gideon somehow and that gideon had him killed right so i guess gideon here this crazy man with the with a top knot and and huge mutton chops or huge mullet uh totally normal and uh, sunspot's <laughs> like yeah okay cool <laughs> there's nothing fishy about this guy at all uh, but but he does go in as a as a personal relationship. Like at at one point, I was like, "Are these guys like adopted brothers?" But they're not because they talk about Roberto's mother as being Roberto. But then Gideon says, "Like um, I've been busy getting my own house in affair, a house in order after mom died." You know, and normally when you would say that, you would be saying that to a sibling. Like, well, since mom died, things haven't been the same. If you're talking about your mother in a, in a place where you're not both related you would say i've been dealing getting my house in order after my mom died yeah it's well, weird you know and then the, he goes the, on to say we're there's not five kind of mutants jeremy <laughs> so the writing is not top notch here and then he goes um, on to say we're not kids anymore burdo it's time to grow up and face reality now this man looks like he's 60 years old and roberto <laughs> is what 20 18 he says i know you had problems kiddo i was there at the beginning remember so he's always been around we're not kids anymore, though. That's another thing that you would say, like, two adopted brothers or even two two brothers about the same age, sort of dealing with the, their familial issues in different ways, uh, and one trying to convince the other of, like, what the right path is. But So their parents hung out, um, and they so they hung out as a result. I guess their parents had business together, maybe. Who knows? Um, and well, that would be fine, too. Heads, heads of, like, dynasties or something. And Gideon is supposed to be only a couple of years older than Roberto. Now, that would make more sense. But the way that he's drawn does yeah, not make it, him look like he's two years older than... The way that he is drawn is completely irrelevant. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Which, you know, I agree with you, but also <laughs> this is the world that we live in. So <laughs> so anyways, uh, Roberto is convinced to leave the school 
And as we move away from that scene, we see Gideon with a very broad smile. I also want to point out this issue is drawn and inked by Rob Liefeld. So there are many faces that are completely blacked out. Uh, and I think that was just like, I don't want to draw a face. So I'm just going to ink it like he's in shadows. Or I tried to draw a face. And I didn't like the way that it came out. So, so I'm just, just going to ink it. I just dumped ink. Speaking of that phenomenon, on the next page, as we're looking at the New Mutants, everybody's face is presented except for Cables, who's completely blacked out for some reason. And it's not like he's in the background and the... The only person that's in the foreground is Boom Boom. I would argue that based on the feet positioning, Cable is in front of Cannonball and Domino, yet for some reason Cable's face is in shadows and Domino and Cannonball's are not. There's a light directly above Domino and Cannonball that Cable is just directly in like in, in front of. Uh, okay, so he's backlit, whereas they're frontlit. That, that could work if you had some bizarre lighting strategy in the house. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, whatever, okay. Uh, yes. Who was wearing a uh, purple overalls, purple, purple overall shorts with a long sleeve orange uh, shirt underneath it. It's very, it's a very strange design. Usually Liefeld's somewhat current. This just seems kind of off. Maybe it's the colors. Uh, these Bright are, red shoes and gloves. These are her hanging out duds. Uh, her legs are kind of a mess. Uh, I will give them credit. Like, if you cover up her legs and just kind of look at her waist up, I think it's a pretty good drawing. But once you get down to the legs, you're like, whoa. He he likes drawing muscular legs. Yeah. and I mean, she's probably wearing shorts for the opportunity to draw mm-hmm. her muscular legs. And we're going to see some, some more examples of muscular legs coming up here. Uh, but uh, they get a note that Sunspot's taken off. Richter. Richter. Oh, Richter's taken off to go get uh, to rain in Sunspot, or in uh, Genosha. Never underestimate that boy's stupidity, says Cable. <laughs> he's very uh, uncaring in this issue until he needs to, and then he's caring. And yeah. I didn't know, like, I didn't know if, like, are we seeing him back and forth between Cable and Strife? Spoilers. I don't think so. I mean, okay. I, I don't know how the whole cable and strife thing works. Me neither. So I can't really, I can't really speculate on that. But but cable's um, just kind of a jerk in the most, the majority of this issue. Well, he, you got to be a jerk when you're going to war. Yeah, I yeah. guess. Um, Cannonball wants to go after them. So does Domino. I, I guess. And uh, Cable's like, nah. I told him not to go, so... He shouts at Cannonball. Richter has chosen to terminate his relationship with this team, Sam. This ends any obligation we have to him, which, that's weird. It's just a very blunt way of making Richter not be on the team anymore. Yeah, and Cannonball's like, oh, this whole team's falling apart, I'm gonna storm off. It's that thing that we were talking about before, where you have a situation that you want to get to, and characters have to go uh, out of their... uh, we were talking about this with Ghostbusters Afterlife. You want to get to mm-hmm. a plot point, but you need characters to not be in character in order to get there. Right. So How do we get just, here? You just do it and hope that it's okay. Yeah. And in this case, it's fine. Whatever. Nobody cares how Cable is. No, no. In the in the, in the the broad scheme of everything Cable, this doesn't matter, but it's it's not it's not good. <laughs> it's not well no, written. It's, it, it's, it's not well written. So, yeah, B- uh, Boom Boom takes off after Cannonball. Um, they're not quitting the team. They're just angry. Uh, then we flip over to James Proudstar, who's gotten off of his airplane, driving his Jeep to the reservation, and it's been burnt to the ground. 
Why? And on the... and there's a Hellfire helmet on the ground. You're dead, Frost. Dead. So, boom, here's our motivation uh, for getting James Proudstar to be on the team. Um, whether or not the Hellfire Club actually did this, or if Gideon planted it, or Cable planted it, I don't know. I, it would make sense that it was the Hellfire Club at this point, because didn't he just leave the Hellions? Yes. So, possibly? But it's rather amusing that there's a Hellfire helmet just kind of left there. Just That's the only thing there. It's all like barren ground, except for one Hellfire helmet. So, In fact, we don't, we don't see any of this. We see smoke. And we see James Proudstar's reaction, and we see a top-down shot of him on a barren thing, but we never see any of the damage. Yeah, we see like a, a fenced-off area, which I feel it feels weird to me that the portrayal of a reservation is a fenced-off plot of land. But that, That's whatever. probably somewhat accurate. Is it? For the 90s? I, I don't know. I don't think so. But I guess I've only been to a couple of reservations. I don't remember having to go through a fence to... When we had a reservation outside of Canton, New York, was there, I've never, did you ever go there? I never did, but I know that people would go there to buy cigarettes. Yeah, that's that's what I think of too. (laughs) And maybe, maybe alcohol, maybe at 18 you could buy alcohol, but cigarettes definitely. Okay. Yeah, I don't know if there was fences or not there. It just, it just seems like something that wouldn't, like, seems pretty real to me, but I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. But, uh. And on the next page, there's uh, we're introduced to a new character. He is a, a slender, tall man, uh, British by the way. He's wearing sort of a vest and a nice white shirt and a and a tie. He's got little reading glasses on, so uh, I don't know who he is. It's a very dapper looking Cable. Oh, oh, you think this is Cable? They redesigned Cable to be a very slim man. He's no longer a bulky man. So I want to point out some things here. Um, He's wearing gloves for some reason. I guess, you know, when you're reading old books, you want to you wanna make sure you're wearing your gloves. I want to point out a thing that is going to happen for the next few pages while this new character that we've met that I am not convinced is Cable <laughs> <laughs> is here. So uh, because, number one, Cable has cybernetics and I think doesn't he have like a cybernetic eye? No, he's got a he's got those the star above his eye, the long shot star. Yeah, but what does that do? I don't know. <laughs> okay, so this man here who's reading a book has little little tiny John Lennon readers, which are fine. I like that. But I want to I'm going to draw your attention to this each time we see it. Uh, in this sort of second panel, we see the glasses arm on the right, and what looks like no glasses arm on the left. Then the next panel, there are no glasses arms whatsoever. They're just little glasses resting on his nose. And then in the final panel, you see the glasses arm on the left, but none on the right. So these, these are details, Jeremy. <laughs> these glasses, and, and it's not just like, oh, it's one page and he didn't feel like... It is like every time they show this character, who is not Cable with these glasses, uh, the arm just is is there, isn't there, um, both there, both gone, on and on and on. Rob Liefeld does not think the details are important. <laughs> Look at the the drawing. It's like a t- top-down view of the two of them. And you see two shelves of books. And one shelf looks like a <laughs> shelf. And the other shelf looks like the books are jutting out for some reason. Well, he's, It's like at a completely different angle than the previous. It's like 
is trying to do a perspective thing where the, the books on the top shelf would be giant because that would be the perspective. But the books on the bottom are the same size and jutting out at a different angle than the books above them, which would mean that these books are like three feet tall. <laughs> <laughs> and then eat both cable and sunspots sort of p- position or angle it makes me think that they're just in two different locations <laughs> and two different two different grades of terrain the way that they're uh they're leaning but uh the point of this scene is that sunspot's like i gotta go and run and my dad's like, Whatever. business i don't really care because i want you off the team because that's what my lord and savior liefeld wants yep more glasses inconsistencies. We do get one panel of uh, glasses arms on both sides, uh, but it's it's indeterminate on the first panel whether or not exi- it exists on the left side. Uh, but in the bottom panel, it's definitely there on the left side and definitely not there on the right side. The last panel of Sunspot's face looks like a completely different character than who entered the room. Yeah. His hair is a little bit different. His face facial structure, yeah, yeah, it's it's weird. So he's like, he's, fine. He's just giving up again. These are details, so you know it doesn't matter. We get the back of Cable's head. That's kind of nice. Sunspot says, actually, I may need more than just a little time away, sir. I may not be coming back. Cable, instead of saying like, uh, well, good luck, son. Uh, I hope that you are able to resolve your blah 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 blah. And if you ever need anything, let us know. He says, whatever. Yeah, he's very, uh, very mature. Does he say whatever or does he say whatever? <laughs> I think he just mumbles it under his breath. Whatever. Whatever. Sunspot's like, oh, fine. Whatever. whatever. Good riddance. Cannonball heard all this and he's like, really? That's it? Just whatever? You want to know? I want to know what kind of game you're playing and I want to know now. We cut to the danger room. Which, so from a storytelling perspective, like Cable or Cannonball, I feel like it's on to something like, Hey, we've been through some adventures with you. You're relatively new to us. In general, it seems like you care about this team and sort of our progression. Uh, but this issue, you don't care about anything. So what yeah. is going on? And it could be something that that they have to solve, like Shadow King or te- telepathy or something where Cable's mind has been held, but the damage is done and, and the team can go on kind of with this limited roster. But instead, it's just... No, Cable's sometimes a jerk. Well, we saw a couple issues ago, Cable's views of skids and uh, various other characters that could be new mutants, you know, just irrelevant, dead to us. Right. His, uh, they're just building up Cable to be kind of a militaristic jerk. So then we get some... I think, I think the difference is Cable, as written by Louise Simonson, sure. and Cable probably as he was always intended to be by Rob Liefeld. Yeah, so this is plotted by uh, Rob Liefeld and written by Fabian Nicesia. You got to credit with like trying to make this work. Yeah, yeah. I can't be that easy. No, no. So Domino and Boom Boom are in the danger room doing a workout. And this is where we get some incredibly crazy Boom Boom legs. <laughs> like if you cover up her legs and you just look at kind of her waist up, once again, her arms... Uh, head and everything it looks great but when you cover up that front half and you look at the back half you're like "Ah." (laughs) Uh, like from the perspective of this if we just look at her left leg her thigh would have to be jutting backward to be as large as it is 
and then her calf and foot would have to be jutted forward. So her knee would be bending on an inverse of what it should be doing in order for this perspective to work. If you just cover up the leg that disappears off in like the mile-long distance, it's okay. Yeah, I suppose the bottom leg's not bad because, I mean, the muscle would bulge out when you're squatted at that that uh, position. But that other leg, man, it's, uh, it's crazy. <laughs> it's just disappeared off in the distance. Like, and it's also curved in a way that legs don't bend. But, you know, I just... Are you talking about the small picture? Because I'm talking about the big picture. I'm talking about the big picture. Okay. Look, okay. At, look at the tiny little leg. Yeah. Or the, the, the tiny foot. little foot. Yeah. I feel like it's supposed to be a perspective thing where it's yeah. like super far away. Yeah. But the size that it is, is like... I don't know, much farther away than it's supposed to be? Well, the the thigh, like I was mentioning, if if the perspective is what they want to go for and the leg is going away from us, that right. thigh should be getting smaller and smaller. And the calf shouldn't be that big. Yes. It's pretty crazy. But anyways... It's, uh, it's, it's, it's awful in many ways. But the next panel of just Boom Boom's face is pretty good. Yeah. I think Rob Liefeld can and does draw really good faces. Sometimes... He does not, though. Like I the, don't know doodly about you, and I want to know, and I, and what I do know don't make me trust you. Why, why am I giving her Cannonball accent? Oh, well, whatever. Because it doesn't matter. Hey, you and Cable are up to something, and you're not filling us in on what it is. It's like you're going to form some sort of X-Force. Yes. She says, Cable is going to show you the roads you can take. He'll even offer you an option to follow him on the road he has chosen. But each of you will have to make that decision on your own. Why is Domino here? She's not working out. Uh, oh, I guess she's using the, the yeah. hang bars, she got the, the hang circles in the yeah. first panel. And some... she just stops. She's Acro... telling herself off. Yeah, she's doing some acrobatics. She's done with her workout and boom, boom, kind of came in and she's like, oh, well, let's have this little quick conversation while I finish up my workout and you begin your workout. Boom, uh, boom. We need to have a heart to heart. So then we get the confrontation between uh, Cable and, well, actually the the uh, former British uh, Gentile. Uh, oh, has no. morphed into a big muscular man. <laughs> By the end of the panel, he has he is he is cable again. He's inflated to the, the page. He he presses his like I don't know his bio inflation button, and his robot mechanics boost him up to normal size. So if you did a side by side of sort of the introduction of vested tied uh, cable versus this, you'd be like, these are, while they're wearing the same clothes, they are clearly two different characters. <laughs> He's half cyborg, so he can shrink. <laughs> now, this is where I really noticed the glasses in the first point. Like, if you look at the first panel, there's definitely not an arm going off to the left. In the next panel, there's definitely not an arm going over to the right. In the next panel, there are no arms. And then the final panel, when he whips his glasses off to yell at Cannonball, there are arms on both sides of these glasses. What is happening with these glasses? Shouldn't his buttons be popping off of his vest? Everything should be. <laughs> he's hulking out like he should be in tattered clothes right now. Uh, but yeah, he he yells. Oh, and then we get this great uh, uh, panel of the camera looking up on them. This is clever. I'll it's, give I'll give Rob Liefeld credit for this. It's it's unique. It's a clever idea. So the two characters are yelling at each other, but to me, what it looks like is they're they're basically laying on their bellies. <laughs> <laughs> Again, the perspective is way off, but yeah. it's a cool idea. Yeah. Um. Yeah. 
We are fighting a war, pure and simple. You've been sheltered from reality too long to see it. Oh, I've been sheltered, have I? This is all just set up for, I don't know, X-Force to be a war yes. sort of thing. Different yeah. take on the X-Men sort of thing. These, I mean, ultimately it's the same thing, but for some reason they just have a different ideology. I don't know. They're going to strike hard, strike first. Like, I don't know. Strike first, I don't guess hard. I don't know enough about X-Force to know if it ever takes this sort of war mentality to any kind of difference than the X-Men. I'm sure we'll not find out in the pages of X-Force. I, I don't know. Yeah, so basically Cable's like, you. even though you've seen some bad things and you've experienced some death, you've been coddled, but no more. I'm going to treat you like a man going to war. So they all say their fond farewells to Sunspot uh, as he's picked up by Adam. And uh, then in the war room, uh, James Proudstar shows up and he's like, hey, um, everybody in the reservation was killed. I'd like to join your team, but we also have to get my uh, revenge. Cable's like, all right, cool. And then Farrell, somehow she's found the mansion and she's don't know where she is in relation to the the teams because it kind of looks like she's walking on the ceiling but on the perspective it also looks like she's maybe walking down a screen door (laughs) yeah there's a screen on the ceiling and somehow cable is at the completely wrong angle you just have to imagine what he's going for i i don't know though i think i think she's supposed to be above the ceiling yeah, I mean, if you see in the previous panel, she is she's above them all. Okay, and th- and there's even lines to kind of I got you correlate okay. to the lines that she's walking over. Yeah, the screen is new, right? So she's she's up there in the rafters, I guess, um, and she's like, okay, well, thinking to herself, if that trade off works for that bruiser, uh, it should work for me. So she's gonna make a deal with Cable, and then in the danger room, Shatterstar appears, sort of. I think what they were going for in the same way that Longshot did, but I don't know. Yeah, I mean, he's just sort of there. Well, there's like muck and stuff like all around him. I love the idea that he basically has Wolverine claws extended to swords. (laughs) It's such a stupid idea. Doesn't that uh, turn into just he has swords? I sure hope so. (laughs) I don't think he has these wrist claws that are six feet long. I mean, I can see from the idea of this, how everything has been going in this comic, how it's like, oh, that's cool, but it's impractical. Um, and I feel like there should have been a little bit of a build up to this Shatterstar character. Like, I feel like we should have cut to a couple of scenes of him, because I think he comes from Mojo Verse as well, uh, like running, like, oh my God, I got to get away. We'll probably get all of that in the double size next issue. I don't know. Maybe. I honestly don't remember anything about that issue. But uh, that was issue number 99 of the New Mutants. It's probably going to be a fight. No. And then they'll be like, we shouldn't have been fighting. We should be buddies. So that brings us to Excalibur number 35, which, uh, despite not being written by Claremont or drawn by, uh, what's his face, Alan? This is Scott Labdell, isn't it? Yeah. Despite being a new creative team, I actually thought this was a pretty good issue. I read this, but I don't remember it. Yeah, I'll summarize it very quickly. So the cover is, uh, remember the the days of future present, present, where you have the robot uh, 
guy that's got Rachel enslaved in the future. Well, he's on the cover of this. Yeah, not Nimrod. You're right. And I don't remember what this guy's name is, but anyways, he, he's here. So uh, England is, is swept up because uh, a six-year-old girl disappeared for a few mm-hmm. weeks, and everyone's worried about it, and it's on everybody's mind, and... Uh, Excalibur's involved because they're the only uh, English superhero team, and so they're kind of using their resources and their powers to try to figure out where this girl is. Uh, you got this dynamic between one of the cops and Rachel, and he's just kind of like a jerk. They've just they're kind of playing off of one another. He doesn't trust superheroes, not at all. Uh, and Rachel's just kind of like, "Leave me alone and let me do my thing," and he keeps getting into her business. So they find the kidnapper uh and they interrogate him and, and at first there's the cops like rachel use your powers to 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 like dig into his mind and find this information she's like no i'm not going to violate his civil rights and then like the next page she's like all right fine i'll do it <laughs> and so she scours his mind and something else is going on in his mind he doesn't actually know even though he was the one that kidnapped the girl uh where the girl is or sort of what happened uh and so some monstery things happen as Rachel's uh, connected to this man's mind. And then ultimately she, she passes out because it's, it's so intense. Uh, we find out that, that this girl's in a well, basically it's, it's raining and the water is rising. So the stakes are, are really amped up here. The, the cop guy, he goes full commando. Like he's been waiting for this. He puts on like uh, he's got like a machine gun and an army backpack and bullets and stuff. He's like, all right, let's let's go do this. <laughs> I thought that was that was kind of fun. So as Rachel's like heading towards it, all of a sudden she has visions of that guy. I guess Ahab was his name. Yeah, Ahab. Uh, and Slayer. And we find out. I don't think we knew this in the in the past. Uh, Rachel ultimately killed nightcrawler in the future nightcrawler uh becomes like the the figurehead of the german resistance he renames himself to father or father wagner uh and and rachel's mission was to go there and sort of crush the lead of the german resistance uh which is nightcrawler and she's like oh no i gotta go through this again i don't want to go through this again which really sort of in my mind changes everything we know about rachel and nightcrawler's relationship because I mean, it's it's a neat idea, but it 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 obviously wasn't intended to be this way when Rachel's character was initially introduced. Because when she first saw Nightcrawler, she'd have been like, "Oh my god!" Right, but yeah, it's, well, it's comics. It's, it's a it's a retcon. A retcon. It'll probably be going forward. She'll be like, "Why right. have I been so friendly to Nightcrawler all this time?" <laughs> or something. Or they just won't touch upon it. So the way that this Night, is Nightcrawler is so friendly to me, I can never let him know. Right. Uh, yeah, there'll probably be a line like that. Like, I ever since I first saw him and I knew that this was going to be the outcome, I couldn't let him know or something. something like yeah. That. But anyways, it, whatever. It's comics. Uh, so she was able, her and her hounds were able to, I guess, surround Nightcrawler and the Ahab dude was able to show up with a uh, a um, javelin. Uh, throw it through Nightcrawler, and Nightcrawler's dead. And she's like rocking back and forth, like, oh, I'm sorry. And then we cut to the present where the, the cop is like, what is going on with you? So technically she didn't kill Nightcrawler. That's true. She was responsible. She captured Nightcrawler, allowing Ahab to kill him. So she feels responsible yeah. slash guilty about it. But at least she didn't do the deed. So it turns out that all of this has been orchestrated by despair. Remember him? Barely. Yeah. <laughs> 
But he uh, he was able to corrupt the kidnapper to get the girl because he wanted to bring the whole of England's consciousness into to despair, basically, so that he could become more powerful and and rise up. And, and then Rachel showed up, and this was an opportunity for him to extend his power or something like that. Uh, there's a bunch of fighting and, and dialogue and, and stuff, but bottom line, what happens is the cop makes it to the well. He's just kind of like running, and he's like, um, he says something about, I wish we could find them and drop them all down the well. And he's like, oh, well, huh, wonder if she's down there. And she is. Uh, and it's able to be wrapped up because he dives into the well. He doesn't quite know how to get her uh, and is able to rescue her. And because of the hope of Amy, the six-year-old girl, uh, despair's power is weakened. And Rachel's like, you, uh, like adults, have preconceived notions about what's possible and what's not possible. But kids, they don't understand this. So there was a glimmer of hope in her when she was saved. Uh, and then she's able to squash despair like a bug. It's a good idea. Yeah. And then they come out and everybody's happy. And I think there's sort of a newfound uh, uh, fondness or friendship or understanding between uh, the cop guy and Rachel. And the issue ends. Yeah. Okay. Now that we've gone over it, I do remember it better. The, <laughs> the relationship between the cop and the uh, and Rachel was pretty well done. Yeah. I, I mean, I think this is obviously uh i don't want to say a filler issue it's because it's not like it's you know the the, the original well, i guess it, it depends is scott lobdell taking over the book is this the first issue in the new direction or is this just a in between like full-time writers i i, I don't we'll know <laughs> i think scott lobdell writes the next issue but you know coming off of like the original creative team's run you would sometimes expect there to be just kind of a filler issue where they're trying to figure out like, okay, who's going to be the creative staff moving forward? What are our arcs and whatnot? Uh, and to come off of sort of that original team with a one-off story um, that's, I, I think, this well-written, I think is, is kudos. Good job. All right. I liked it. I think Scott Lobdell is going to be taking over the X-Men soon, so that's good. And then there was... Uh, Wolverine number 37. Blood and Claws, the conclusion. Hey, did I read this? <laughs> I definitely looked at all the pages. Oh, I read this. <laughs> this was this was a fun issue. I think I actually bought this issue when I was younger because it has both Wolverine and Lady Deathstrike on the cover. Uh, I don't really recall the issue. But in reading it this last time, uh, there were there were some cool time travel elements that I liked. But basically, this is the conclusion of uh, Puck and Wolverine and Lady Deathstrike going back in time. And really what it result revolves around is, you know, they've, they've sort of solved the problem, um, but they need to get back to present time. And these, like, time tornadoes keep appearing, moving them throughout time. And the time tornadoes are caused every time somebody is killed who isn't supposed to be. Right. Which, where we left off... Wolverine's team of friends are moving forward and Wolverine stayed behind to fight the German army and Lady Deathstrike. So there's a lot of killing of people that probably weren't supposed to die at this point, but are dying early. And we even get uh, the present where Donald Pierce is kind of reviewing timelines shift yeah. in books and stuff, which is 
interesting. Yeah, it's a neat idea. And I think the only one person that died that wasn't supposed to die was this Schlachter guy who's been sort of the primary Nazi, I guess. Yeah. Uh, I think Yuriko kills him. Everybody else in that sort of uh, uh, squad or, or unit or whatever was killed by an avalanche, but Schlachter got away and did some things and then died a couple of years later. But now as the timeline shift, he dies here. Uh, he accidentally runs over Deathstrike's arm. Yeah, which is a she neat kills thing. him for that. Yeah. And then, you know, they oh, with a tank. The, I should mention that. The time tornadoes kind of come and, and Puck's sort of been out of it. Uh, he wakes up and he's like, oh, my God, the time tornado's here. I got to get to Wolverine. I didn't really understand how he knew that. But obviously, we got to get Puck back to the present as well. And he's got like a gut feeling. Yeah. So he runs off, catches Wolverine. And then we have uh, uh, Pierce is designing this new young uh, robot sort of mm-hmm. while he and bone breaker skull crusher the tank guy uh, are reviewing the uh, time continuum changes yeah which is neat i like it there's some papers sort of work their way out of the time tunnel and they're like oh there's a hat says schlockter and a map let's look this up okay everybody was supposed to die here oh schlockter just died oh my gosh the time has changed yeah and as they're doing this they're not paying attention to the fact that they're giving the little girl way too much intelligence uh, and speaking of topical humor, at the bottom of uh, page 13 here, uh, Lady Deathstrike's like, don't mock me, Gaijin, the game is over. And Wolverine says, it ain't over till Roseanne sings the anthem, darling. Yeah. And anybody in 2022 is probably like, I don't, who, what? <laughs> I don't know what any of that means. But us 40-year-old men totally know what that means. Yep. So. I Roseanne think- was in the news a couple of years ago. Yeah, well... You can figure it out. Yeah, yeah. It ain't over till Roseanne goes on Twitter and does a whole bunch of uh, <laughs> insensitive tweets and blames it on Xanax <laughs> and then gets canceled. Oh, you know, so in two years, people will be like, what's, what's Jeremy talking about? I don't know what that means. Yeah. <laughs> I know those words individually, but strung together how he did them, they make no sense. Uh, anyways, they ultimately make their way... We, we see... The creation of Lady Deathstrike from issue 204, which is kind of a neat touch. Uh, and in the sort of Bakta tank of creating Lady Deathstrike, uh, Wolverine appears and is fighting um, Lady Deathstrike. Inside the Bakta tank, which is cool. Yeah. And Reese is there and Spiral. And Spiral's like, yeah, she's going to be awesome. And, and the transformation is almost complete. And then she's like, huh? And she looks over and then looks away. And she's like, I thought I saw, but it probably can't be. Mm. Uh and then they make their way into sort of uh, the issue 204 where Cole, Mackin, and Reese are hunting down Wolverine. Um, and He's fighting Kate, with Lady Deathstrike and Katie, Katie Powers, Powers there. there. So it's kind of a neat, like, you know, Back to the Future Part 2 type thing. Although there's very little crossing of paths. I think there's only one panel where things are happening. And then we cut to Katie saying, Mr. Wolverine, can I open my eyes now? Not yet, Katie girl. Which is clever. It's yeah. a good touch. I like that they they did that. Uh, yeah, I like that they, they did this whole thing where they revisit that issue uh, and, and do this sort of time travel um, fight. You also see Eureka's Lady Deathstrike's father crash his mm-hmm. plane, uh, which I don't know if we've seen in comics before. If we did, it was probably from an issue of Daredevil or something. Yeah, I did skip over that. Um, 
he was a kamikaze pilot it's, maybe i i don't know Whatever. um it would make sense because he crashes his plane into a uh ship in the pacific and that's the crash that barbecued his face i'll tear your heart out for that which is the whole thing that had him develop adamantium, which mm. ended up begetting Wolverine, which ended up begetting Lady Deathstrike. Okay, so that, that reminds me. So there is a a line in here where Lady Deathstrike's like, I'm going to rip out all that adamantium that you stole from my father. And Wolverine's like, I didn't choose this. I didn't want this. This happened to me. I just wanted to be a normal person. So has that been the motivation the entire time? Because I'm, I think I've mentioned this many times in the past. Like, I'm unclear... As to, like, why Eureka hates Wolverine so much. Is this the reason? And Larry Hammond's just like, I gotta give a reason, so here it is? Yeah. Okay. That's fine. Yeah. That's fine. Through some means, the the adamantium that was intended for her father, like, I don't know, he's he's like the creator of adamantium or something like that. Yeah. And somehow the Canadian government got all the adamantium and plugged it into Wolverine and her father somehow didn't get it. Although she ends up getting it. So I, I'm not really sure. I don't remember. I think it was in Daredevil. So that's probably why I don't remember. We so, may not have covered the whole thing. So as Puck makes his way into a more modern timeline, he shrinks and he's like, hey, wait up for me. My legs aren't as long as they used to be. Yeah. Uh, they I'm all small again. They all topple into the river uh, from issue 204. So it's in the middle of winter. So it's really cold and whatnot. Uh, and when they surface, they're in the Vancouver Harbor, I think, back where they left off. Yeah. yeah. And uh, they kind of puck. Well, Lady Deathstrike's gone. Uh, so it's Puck and Wolverine. They're kind of reviewing what's just happened. And Puck uh, doesn't remember anything. Puck's like, yeah, I remember that I was in the... In, in a boat with you when we fell out. <laughs> well, doesn't he say, like, I remember that I was in the war, but you weren't there? Yeah. And then, then the picture from a couple issues ago appears and he looks at it and Wolverine's in it now. Yeah. And it's the same picture from two issues ago, except that now Wolverine's sitting behind Ernest Hemingway. You okay, Judd? You look kind of pale. Yeah, I'm just fine. Uh, and then elsewhere, Lady Deathstrike uh, shows us. So she's back in Australia fighting a Wolverine, but it turns out that it's a cyborg Wolverine. Not a cyborg. Totally synthetic molly steel laminate exoskeleton no human luggage like conscious or sense of self so he's a terminator yeah yeah this is a pure killer uh and then they're like hey look over there that's another killer her name's lcd which i never got that joke until i was at a comic-con well not really a joke i never understood what lcd meant until i was at a comic-con and i asked larry hammer to draw a picture of lcd for me and um, then I was like, wait a minute, LCD. Oh. <laughs> Liquid crystal display. Does I'm that... getting that for the first time ever in like 50 years. <laughs> does, I mean, it's a neat play on words, but does she have anything to do with an actual no. LCD? No. Because then it's like clever but pointless at the same time. It's clever but pointless at the same time. Okay. There you go. The origin but... of LCD. Character I'm not really familiar with. LCD and Arthur, who is the, uh, the the not cyborg Wolverine, will be in the next few issues, and I think they're still around in the Marvel universe. Is so that's fun? Arthur supposed to be the Wolverine that kills Professor Xavier in Logan? In the oh maybe, 
I never really connected the dots there, but it's certainly possible. I'm in there. Yeah, I could be. I mean, you know, in a loose sense. Of, yeah, in the movie sense. Right. That, that might be because everything's based on something, it seems like. Yeah, maybe. Uh, Although they should have brought in LCD if they were going to go down that road. Yeah. Arthur has a personality, though. So okay. that 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 thing that in the movie was really a pure killer Terminator. So then there's X Factor number 64. Uh, I like this cover, not so much of the ninja guy, but of Iceman. I like the little giant, or not the little, the giant ice gauntlets around uh, Iceman's arms. I think they're neat. I, I like those too. And I don't think they're actually used in the issue, but. No, I wish they were. I wish he would like, you know, fire those up and just start like launching them at people. Uh, but. Yeah, it's he drew it and he's like, hey, this is cool. But then it doesn't actually get uh, addressed in the issue. Here we see the action lines that I associate with Will Spartatio's art. He loves drawing all these kind of anime action lines, although they're more they're more lines than anime, I feel like. But maybe I'm wrong about that. I, There's I, lots of lines in anime. So, yeah, I, I like it. I think it acts like a, a sense of action. Uh, it makes makes things look a little bit more dynamic. It's better than just like a stark white background. For sure. <laughs> And there's like a nice color gradient from yellow to red. So. Yeah. Uh, but all, all things uh, considered here. So this is written by Louis, Sim- Louis Simonson and drawn by Will Portacio. Uh, who, did, who also did the plot. So it's another artist doing a plot sort of thing and Louis Simonson doing the plot and the script. So who knows how much of each each did. A couple of things that, that I'll say about this issue is I do like the sort of the dynamic panel layouts. Um, they're, they're very non-traditional. Uh, some that have no borders, some that have like heavily inked sort of scratchy borders, uh, crooked panels. Uh, I like it. A lot, of, a lot of good design choices for the panel layout. Um, personally, I thought the story was a little boring, a little long. But Well, the problem with the story is that it doesn't involve any X-Men for about two-thirds of the issue. We get a lot of information about Opal, very sort of like she was born, she was adopted or we get her parents backstory, then we get her backstory and it's, it's nothing like ultimately her, her parents were killed uh, and somebody sent her off to her aunts because they didn't want her to be subjected to grandfather's whims. Uh, right. Her so grandfather made her father marry somebody that he didn't love, but right. he had already impregnated the woman that he did love who got oh, that's ostracized. Right. That's right, yeah. Who eventually ended up having Opal by herself and sent her off to America. It was a very convoluted, uh, interesting, but convoluted uh, origin of Opal and why Opal was in America and why this whole grandfather storyline was happening. Sort of like a Romeo and Juliet story-ish with you know, these two love each other, but they can't be with each other type of a deal. Uh, and now they're all dead. And now she's and, finding herself sort of in the same situation. Right. And the person telling the story is Hero, who is a half cyborg, half man. Well, I guess that's what a cyborg is. He is a cyborg who uh, is one of the three cyborgs that work for the grandfather. Yeah. Who And she's supposed to choose one of them to marry and we learn that the other two cyborgs don't like hero because he's mm-hmm. too noble and stuff and heroes constantly questioning have i become all machine am i no longer a man 
Yeah, and I thought as I was reading this, I was like, I wonder if this is going to end with Opal, you know, sort of rejecting Hero throughout the issue, but then getting to the end where she's like, I have no choice. I'm sorry, Bobby. I love you, but I must be with Hero <laughs> for the good of the family and the good of blah, blah, blah. And that would end the Opal storyline. But I was wrong. It doesn't happen at all. Uh, but what, what does happen is uh, Iceman does... I mean, there's a lot of stuff that sort of happens here. A lot of stuff you covered. Uh, Mariko's here with her ninjas. Um, yeah. And they help out a little bit. So the grandfather tells uh, Opal that he's going to decide who she's going to marry. And it's going to be Hero. Mm-hmm. And then the other two uh, cyber warriors are mad about him. Actually, they call him a cyber force in this issue somewhere. Oh. Which I thought was clever, seeing as that cyber force is about to become a Mark Silvestri comic book in a couple of months. Maybe a year. Um, and the other two guys don't. They betray Hero and attack him from behind cowards. Well, they, she doesn't. Opal so, sort of betrays, but not really, Hero. And this is where I thought, like, because she, she tells the grandfather, like, I know what happened. And he's like, how do you know that? Hero must have told you. I'm going to kill him for that. And she And she thinks to herself... Oh, I don't want Hero to die because he he is actually kind of a nice guy and he, he he's got some issues, of course. So she changes it around to be like, well, he had no choice and it's not his fault or something like that. And he he she says he did it to make you look like better, basically, right. make the grandfather look like uh like he was. It made more sense, I guess. So there's a moment in here where you think like these other cyborgs are going to kill Hero and you're going to think that it's sanctioned by the grandfather. But the grandfather's like, nope, Uh, he's an honorable man and he did what he needed to do. And so back off, leave him alone. It all comes down to a fight with no powers between Hero and Iceman. For the honor of Opal. They start fighting with powers, but then they're right. like, the only way to honorably do this is without powers. So Iceman depowers. Uh, and Hero is, not only is he a cyborg, but he's also a ninja. So Iceman's just getting knocked around. But then Opal points out that Hero can't turn off his powers, and it's not a fair fight. And Hero's like, oh, is that true? He's, and then he... it goes back to his whole... Am I a man or am I a robot sort of thing? I prefer am I a man or am I a Muppet of a man? <laughs> but Right. So he questions all of that. Uh, meanwhile, you know, Iceman was getting kind of the crap beat out of him, but then he starts throwing punches and Hero is like, I, I can't fight back. I don't know if I'm a man or if I'm out of control. I don't know if I can turn it off. Uh, and so he stops fighting and Iceman's able to beat him to his knees, at which point Hero's like, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I guess I'm a man because I was able to let go and let, let Iceman beat me up. And Hero finds Iceman to be honorable because he's only doing this because they kidnapped Opal. And this is where I thought that Opal would be like, oh, I see. I, I have to stay here for Hero because he needs help. I'm sorry, Bobby. Oh, the grandfather's dead by this point, oh, by is, the way. Is he? Who killed yeah, him? Yeah, I think the ninjas killed him. Okay. Uh, Mariko's ninjas. So what I thought was going to happen was that Opal was going to say... I need to take over my mm. grandfather's dynasty or whatever. Dynasty sure. or whatever. But that doesn't happen either. Instead, I, they they end with a hug and Jean Grey's also there. They and uh they light Hero, this place on fire too, it looks like. Yeah, I think the ninjas burn it down. Um and then I'm I'm guessing that we'll probably never see Opal again. I could be wrong about that. I don't know. Uh next issue we return to New York as X Factor begins an epic that will change their lives. 
forever. Be here for Endgame, brought to you by Wills Portacio, Jim Lee, and Chris Claremont. See you in 30. So if it's written by Chris Claremont, there will probably be a brief mention of Opal. She'll be in it. He loves using other people's stuff. Sure. Yep. Yeah, he's not one to... Well, he likes to open avenues, but he also likes to close them down as well. So you can definitely see see him dealing with Opal. And maybe we'll see that scene if she's like, you know, I came back to New York, but I thought about it. I got to leave. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Bye, Iceman. And then, what, 20 years later, Iceman comes out of the closet? Is that how that works? Oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. Which is fine. This is the 90s. He's probably in the closet because it's not social. At least he comes out of the closet in an interesting way. It wasn't like it's super convoluted as the X-Men often is. It's technically his teenage self that comes out of the closet in the future who has to convince him that he's always been gay. So that's kind of clever. Oh, spoilers. (laughs) Yeah. Spoilers for something that was written like 10 years ago. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, You didn't know that. I'm sorry. (laughs) Spider-Man number eight, um, this took me back. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's McFarlane, and it's got Wolverine basically in the last three pages, basically. Yeah, uh, I read the whole issue just, just to sort of remind myself, um, and uh, it's, uh, McFarlane's going for a thing, and it's fine. I, what is the thing? Is it like a hyper-realistic sort of Spider-Man? Because he's sort of... There's like a child murderer on the loose, isn't it? Yes. And yeah. they're the the arts, the issue is trying to pin it on Wendigo. And right. if I recall correctly, it's not Wendigo, but no. Um we've got a reporter here that's finding all this and she's blaming herself because all of uh, I think they're in Canada. Yeah, they're, yes. they're in Canada. All of Canada sort of goes nuts because there's these child murders that are going on and uh, now, like, they're all hunting these wild animals and shooting them and stuff, and she's blaming herself because, like, well, things would never be the same. It's very hyper-dramatic, maybe, I would I would put it in there. Um, but also, I think, going for a, a darker, obviously a darker tone uh, than any of the other Spider-Man issues. Because we got blood, we see Wendigo, like, chomping down on some meat, we see carcasses, we see a, two dead kid bodies... Yeah, so it's, it's and so one of the cops is like, for Christ's sakes, get these people out of here. Now, he doesn't say for Christ's sakes. He says Christ's sakes. But still, it's like you're pushing the you're pushing the boundaries a little bit. Yeah, I mean, he was allowed to do whatever he wanted. And yeah. It was decided later whether or not it's actually in continuity. But he gets uh, he had the leeway to do McFarlane had the leeway to do whatever he wanted. And it's all approved by the comics code. Yeah. <laughs> for whatever that's worth. So Wolverine shows up at the end. He, too, is searching for what's going on along with Spider-Man, who was sent here. Um, the drawing of Wolverine's face is not great. Uh, he's doing kind of like this half-cocked face thing where he says, This madness must stop. But one thing that uh, I had forgotten or needed a reminder of is Todd McFarlane draws, in my opinion, a fantastic Spider-Man and fantastic Spider-Man webs. Yeah, for sure. Like I'm looking at page uh, 11 where you got this dynamic Spider-Man pose where his body parts are just going everywhere. Um, And from a perspective standpoint, like everything works. It's cool. I mean, yeah, that, that is, I think his success was that he drew really fun, dynamic Spider-Man poses. Now, everything else on the other hand <laughs> i i agree he's got like his own 
vision or his own style, right? So you look at some of the character designs and they're um, exaggerated, right? So, yeah. so maybe he just knows like, look, I don't draw realistic human figures. So right. I am going to draw sort of realistic, gritty the caricatures, cartoon caricatures of these various characters. Like um, eyes are way too large. Their lips or are small. generally huge or, or small. I'm looking at page 16 and you've got this cop who's got like this sort of giant face. And you, you look at it and you're like, well, nobody looks like that. But on the other hand, it's not, it, it, it's, it's a good, it's a good drawing of, of that police character. Yeah. I think so. Uh, I guess I'm juxtaposing against Todd McFarlane or uh, uh, Rob Liefeld, who I think is just a hack. <laughs> Whereas uh, Todd McFarlane definitely has his own thing. Todd McFarlane is definitely kind of sort of, well, visionary of some sort. He 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 may not be a fantastic face artist, but like you say, he definitely has a style that is unique that would be copied by you know, people like Rob Liefeld for years and years to come. Yeah. And his, his writing, uh, is not terrible. Uh, it's not great. Uh, I think he was really trying to amp up the sort of the seriousness and drama of this issue. Um, I don't know. It didn't quite come together for me, but anyways, yeah, as, a, as a kid, this was frustrating because I really wanted to quit collecting Spider-Man, but he kept having people in it that I wanted to get the issues of. So oh, yeah. I ended up not being able to finish it until like issue 14 or something. Yeah. Well, when he leaves, right. Cause I think Ghost Rider is going to come up pretty soon. And then I think he pairs up he, with Ghost Rider already happened. Okay. It was the last two issues. And then after this Wolverine five parter, he does Morbius. And that's where I finally backed out. I bought the first issue of Morbius and I was like, I don't know what Morbius is. I'm done. I think, but I don't know. And then I think after that, oh, he does the X-Force crossover. There's the X, but does... And then Eric Larson takes over. Does Eric Larson do the Morbius story or is that Todd McFarlane? I think it's Todd McFarlane because I know the cover is a reproduction of that Spider-Man number one. I, I guess we'll find out. Yeah. Well, will or, we? Or we won't find out because <laughs> it's not relevant to this. So yeah. I don't. We won't ever find out Cause, unless we look it up here and now, which I'm not going to do. No, because Todd McFarley does like the first 14 issues for sure, I think, and then there's okay, so, like so that makes sense because 13 and 14 are the Morbius ones. Okay, and then he he steps away for like an issue or two, so you get some fill-in artists. He comes back for like a two-parter. And then the he's X-Force out. The X-Force crossover, which is... Maybe. Maybe that's what it is. Isn't the second part in X-Force? Yeah, I don't remember. And they're sideways issues. Yeah. Yeah. And then and then he leaves, and that's when Eric Larson takes over with the Sinister Six storyline. Which was, of course, had Ghost Rider in it, so I had to buy it. Oh, God, I was so mad. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I stopped... Well, that, that, that was at a time in my life when I thought Eric Larson sucked. But... As we've discussed, as I read... that was at a time in my life when I bought everything that Ghost Rider was in. <laughs> as as I've as uh, we've discussed, as I've reread those things and, and reevaluated Eric Larson's artwork, I actually think he's very talented. He's got his own style. It's, it's yeah, I think he's one of the better ones. Yeah, it's not as uh, maybe sort of um, commercially viable as a Todd McFarlane, uh, but it's consistent and it's like he he clearly made a decision like this is how I'm going to draw and. Uh, you know, this is my thing, and I, I can respect that. Uh, so he maybe he doesn't have that quality where people would imitate him for years and years to come, right? But they do eventually. Yeah, I suppose so. I guess Mark Bagley is sort of a 
uh, Eric Larson, but he's going now, so maybe he's not even copying anybody. They're all copying uh, <laughs> uh, Adam. What's his name? Who? Uh, you know the the guy who did Longshot. Oh, uh, Alan. Uh, Alan, what's his face? No, that's the Excalibur guy. Is Alan? Yeah, it's Adam. Adam. Adam Kubert. No, not Adam. Not one of the Kubert brothers. <laughs> I don't. Oh, man, we are failing. I don't remember uh, who drew Longshot. Who drew Longshot? I'm asking the internet. And Nascenti Art Adams. Oh, that's okay. Who, that's who I'm thinking of. Everybody's copying Art Adams. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'd have to look at it again. Um, I feel like there's a lot of Art Adams influence in Eric Larson's artwork, but Eric Larson takes it in, in his own direction. All that to be said is I, I think maybe at some point I should reread that Sinister Six six-parter and see if it is bad as I thought it was. Because I think it was at a, at, a, at a superficial point in my life where I was like, it's it's Todd McFarlane, it's Jim Lee, it's Rob Liefeld, it's, it's out with a story all about the artwork. Right. So And and part of the, uh, the speculator is like, well, these are all going to be worth something. Right. A little bit of that. Um, let's talk about uh, New Warriors number nine. <laughs> so this is, again, a cameo sort of thing. Skipping ahead to the very end, it just features uh, the Hellions doing something. I'm not even sure what they're doing. I think this woman that they're attacking, who holds her own mm-hmm. until Emma Frost gets there, I think she is somehow related to the New Warriors. She might be... I, I'm not even sure. I don't want to speculate. But, yeah. The next issue is... The New Warriors versus the Hellions. Be there. This is Mark Bagley art, by the way. So you can see kind of a similarity to Eric Larson or Art Adams. Mm-hmm. Um, some John Byrne in there, for sure. Yeah. So Emma Frost is here. And that's all you need to know as we set now up Now we for... can find out who had the audacity to tamper with the Hellfire Club in recent months. Yes. I think Fabian Nicias is writing this, too all over the place and he about to take over an x book probably probably he's gonna write x-force actually x-force probably x-force who writes x-factor uh peter david that's right because that that book gets kind of weird doesn't it yeah i'm looking forward to that because i always wanted to read it and i never did yeah Uh, i didn't want to read it when it came out because i thought it was goofy and weird and didn't have good artwork now as an older person i'm like ah it's kind of interesting and refreshing that somebody took a property and said let's do something kind of really different yeah so i also am looking forward to checking that out web of spider-man number 75 oh i have to switch apps yeah so web of spider-man number 75 uh had Iceman and firestar oh Briefly, actually you know right? what the, the the coolest part of issue web of spider-man number 75 so, so this isn't on marvel unlimited um but the version that I have has advertisements in it. Um, yeah. And the majority of the ads are all of Nintendo games, which is pretty awesome. You got Mega, Mega Man 3, Double Dragon 3, and then two advertisements for the NES version of Silver Surfer. Two? Wow. Yeah. Well, I guess it's a Marvel comic. It makes sense. Yeah. It's pretty, it's pretty awesome. There's like a high score contest where if you buy Silver Surfer, you could win a Silver Surfer jet ski. And I got to wonder, like, did somebody win that and do they still have it? <laughs> I'm looking it up right now. <laughs> Who won 
the Silver Surfer Jet, jet Ski. Sponsored by Arcadia. And then there was a thousand Silver Surfer watches. All you had to do is uh, take a photograph of your high score and send it to Arcadia Systems. Uh, and I guess if you had the high score, you would win this jet ski. There are several articles online about the Silver Surfer jet ski. <laughs> I can't tell whether or not anybody won one or not. But uh, There's not a picture of it? There's there, Well, there's probably a picture of it from – I'm sure they must have showed a picture. Well, it's a drawing in this issue. Oh, okay, okay. Let me Silver see. I'll switch over to images. Jet ski. Uh, let's check. Oh, no, there is a actual picture of it. No, this is a custom paint job uh, to probably to match. No, that doesn't yeah. look at all like the, the drawing. Custom paint vintage. Yeah, there's a couple of custom paint jobs that are probably not the actual job. So, it, yeah, it's anybody's guess as to whether or not anybody actually won the Silver Surfer jet ski. There are people on the internet who want to inter interview you if you did <laughs> because we know you're listening to this show. Right. <clears throat> uh, or was it maybe one of those scams where some kid won and they're like, you, congratulations, you won. Now send us $500 for shipping and handling. <laughs> and the dad or his mom was like, uh, no. First of all, we live in Nebraska. There's no water for a jet ski. Second of all, I'm not paying $500. It's also notoriously one of the hardest games for Nintendo ever. Yes, <laughs> it is. So, anyways, yeah, that was that was the biggest takeaway I had. Uh, there's also a super cool advertisement for Space Legos. Yeah, I which saw that. It's like, oh my god, this this the, to me, Space Legos. So, coming maybe four or five years prior to this, uh, all of the pieces were pretty much standardized, and they would just build Lego sets out of like the same 25 pieces or whatever they had in their catalog. This era is where they introduce like all sorts of like new weird pieces and stuff, which as a kid, I was like, no, got to be a purist. <laughs> Can't keep introducing. And now, now Lego sets, anything goes, you got all sorts of crazy pieces. Well, now you got the cool historical things. I love that they are building like real life sites. I have, I don't, I don't own any, I don't own any Legos. I have probably... I have a lot of Legos. <laughs> yeah. I was buying Star Wars Legos like 15, 20 years ago. And like that would be my weekends. Like, oh, I'm going to put together Millennium Falcon. I'm going to put together this TIE Fighter, this X-Wing or whatever. So I've got all those. Uh, and then last year, maybe two years ago, I said, I don't care what you get me for Christmas, but I want the Ghostbusters Firehouse. Uh, so I have that. I have not put it together yet, uh, but I have it. Uh, and then this year uh, I got the Lego Nintendo TV thing. Oh, that thing. Yeah. yeah. I saw that. It was tempting, but I was like, what am I going to do with that? <laughs> you're going to build it and you're going to put it on a shelf. Yeah. Uh, and I don't have the shelf space, which is why I haven't built either of those. But uh, I also have the uh, Ecto-1 that I had bought previously and the DeLorean. Uh, and the problem is I bought the Ecto-1 and the DeLorean sort of for retail price, and now they're worth much more, and I've never opened them, not because I was like, I'm speculating and collecting. It was more like, I'm going to build those when I build those, and I never got around to it, and now they're worth more money, and I'm like, well, shoot. <laughs> That's why you always buy two of everything. <laughs> do I hang on to it, or do I just build the damn thing, or what? But it's, it's, a, real, it's a real problem. Anyways, well, it's a good problem to have. 
Web of Spider-Man number 75 features a snowstorm in New York and Iceman shows up. And Spider-Man's like, hey, you should probably get out of here because everyone's going to blame you for the snowstorm. And so he does. Yeah, he leaves. And he, he asks, "Is it, does X-Factor know anything about this? And they say, nope. And then Iceman leaves and goes to rescue some people. What's uh, uh, Jarvis? I'll get you to the Avengers. It's Jarvis, oh, yeah, it's Jarvis and Peggy. And, and Peggy Carter. Yeah. She was in the Captain America movie. Uh, he, he says that Beast is on the ship uh, trying to figure this out. Yes, because of course off. Beast is. And, then, and the, then the new warriors show up. Yep. Hi, I'm Firestar from the New Warriors, right? I've heard of you kids. Yeah. This is kids? <laughs> this is definitely a uh let's let's pull in a bunch of properties into whatever story is happening here. Well this this is part three of like the the thing that has been including a bunch of different people. Like I think there was Namor and uh Peter uh Rasputin was oh, in the that's past right. couple yeah, of yeah. issues. So you know. Oh, there's a Dungeons and Dragons. New Dungeons and Dragons coming. Yeah, and I was trying. Like, I remember that advertisement where it's kind of like '90s skater font. It's coming. It's gonna be <laughs> red. But then the drawing is like sort of a classic painted dragon. So it's like they're trying to radicalize uh, Dungeons and Dragons, which at this point is a 20 year old property. Um, but what I don't know is uh, w- what it is because my recollection of Dungeons and Dragons is you had your AD and D books right the dungeon master guide the player's guide the monster manual sort of all the books that created the game and then at one point they came out with a box set which was basically simplified instructions um, maybe some pieces to keep track of hit points and gold uh, character sheets um, and then maybe uh, character um, uh, expansion modules that you could buy along with that and i don't know if that's what they're advertising uh, or if this is just something completely different so each time they do that, it's a new edition, and I think this is just another edition. Oh, so do you think this is like three point so five like or fifth edition or something like edition, that? Sure, so it's sure. it's the Dungeon Master's Guide plus the uh, Monsters Guide plus probably a bunch of uh, little things that are solo adventures that you can purchase yeah, and run yeah. your people through. Uh, I've never played Dungeons and Dragons, but I know quite a bit about it. I've. I'm I'm currently involved in an ongoing campaign. You know, I see those books on the shelves at Target, and I'm like, I kind of just want the latest version of those books just to have, what? even though I'll never do anything with them. When I was younger, uh, there was a used bookstore in uh, town, and uh, they had a lot of those older, like, 70s and 80s editions, hardbound books. Yeah. Uh, and they were, like, three bucks. And so every now and then I would buy and probably an out-of-date sort of useless monster manual or dungeon master uh, uh, guide because, like, the covers were really dynamic and cool, and then you kind of flip through and there'd be, like, artwork of orcs and kobolds and beholders and, you know, this is cool. So I had those for a while, and I don't know where they ended up, but. I think those are probably yeah. worth a lot of money now, but as a kid, I also remember just flipping through them. It's like somebody had them, and I would flip through them, and they were they were just entertaining. Yeah, like I never played the game, but the books were kind of cool. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I have played on a few occasions, uh, but I couldn't run a campaign. The people that, like the dungeon master that I've I've got right now, like you'll be like, yeah, I'm a barbarian, level seven, 
and he'll be like, oh, you can do this, 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 and this. And I'm like, how do you know that? Like, I'm looking at my character sheet that has this information, <laughs> and even I don't know <laughs> exactly what you're saying. He's read and memorized the books. Yeah. So, anyways. I'm involved in a Call of Cthulhu campaign right now, which is another role-playing game. I played one of the board games, like Mansions of Madness or something like that. There's so many of them, yeah. yeah. Uh, and is that the one with the app? There's the app, app kind of tells is, is runs as the game master. They probably all have apps, but yes, this one yeah. definitely had an app. Um, uh, yeah, so I don't think you actually had a dungeon master. I think the app kind of ran things okay. for you, and like you, you rolled, you did things, and I think I got that same game for Christmas: Mansions of Madness. It's it's a it's an oversized box. Yeah, okay. It, there's a ton of pieces inside of it. I think that there's maybe 10, 12 campaigns inside that determines like how you, how you set up the pieces. Box. Oh, yeah. So we played it once, um, started on a, on a Sunday at like noon or something like that. And at five o'clock, like we weren't even halfway through. <laughs> We're like, <laughs> like everybody's tired and it was interesting and what and stuff. But like, it was like, it's going to take us like weeks to finish this game. <laughs> And, this, you know, it's set up on this guy's, like, dining room table. It's like, well, we got to eat dinner, so, <laughs> like, can't just transport this over. So that was that. That was your only experience? With a Call of Cthulhu game, yeah. yeah. Okay. Maybe I played another one. There was another one where you had uh, little cards, like madness cards, where you kept them private, but if a certain condition happened, you had to do the action on the card. <laughs> so, like, if you ended up on the same tile, like, you're all working together to try to solve whatever the problem is but if you like one card is if you have a knife and you end up on the same tile as another person then you have to attempt to kill them <laughs> but if you never end up on that tile uh then you can continue working together and like oh go over there and do this but you can never tell them like hey if i end up on a tile with you i'm going to try and kill you so don't end up in a tile right. with you right so interesting things like that cool the other, the other game I used to play as a uh, kid was the Star Wars role-playing game. Oh, I never played that. In which I was an aspiring Jedi. Okay. Because why wouldn't you be? Right. It was a good times. I actually remember the uh, the storyline. It's like there was... I had a I had somebody trying to train me to be a Jedi. I was hanging out with... Uh, Kip was a droid. <laughs> yep. I tried to play the... Uh... Star Wars collectible card game, but oh yeah, that was never I, I had a bunch it. of those cards. I and I think I've even played it, and I just didn't care for it. Yeah, so I don't really it wasn't remember. as it wasn't as it, I don't know good, I guess, as Magic, where right. Magic just kind of makes sense, and I play a lot of it. But all those other collectible card games that I tried, like Star Wars, Star Trek, they were all. You would play them once or twice and be like, "This game's too complex and stupid." Well, I think, and that's what. They tried to do, I think, uh, Magic was a gateway, right? Because it's, it's easy enough to play. It was. Yeah. I don't know about these days. Like, I've looked at I mean, some cards the, and I'm like, the, I don't know what's happening here. The rules are super complicated, and now they're crossed over with Dungeons & Dragons, so it's right. probably even more complicated. Back in the day, but, they were pretty simple. Like, it's, it's yeah. like three things that, that have to happen on your turn, and you can do just whatever. Like, it's very simple, and, and just read the card, do whatever the card says, and, and move on about your life. Uh and I remember playing a lot of Magic, ninety seven, ninety yeah. like six. I don't know, like a long time ago, ninety two maybe. I don't remember. But um, 
friends of mine sort of started peeling off because they're like, well, that's that's like a kid's game. We got to play this. There was a, a vampire game. And I tried to buy, bought a deck and I bought some boosters and put them all together. And, and there, there's just like so many rules and conditions. And I was like, I, <laughs> I'm not having fun. And they're like, no, this, this, this is so intense and like way better than magic. And I'm like, I, I don't know. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but to each their own. Yeah. Uh, Marvel Comics Presents number 62. I don't care. Maybe you care, Adam. I'm trying to bring it up. Number 62, you say? It's a two-parter, uh, which means that not a lot of stuff is happening. Wolverine's in, like, a jungle or something trying to save oh, animals or yeah. something. He's killing a bunch of animals, which I had a problem with because, I don't know, it was... It's it's another thing where it's like Wolverine just loves killing animals, but oh, know, he does kill a wolf. He's being attacked by wolves, and he kind of says like, you know, it's unfortunate that these guys are attacking me. I was just trying to track this deer. He was doing the thing where he was trying to sneak up and touch it, mm-hmm. like uh, like in that X Men issue. Yeah. So it's a, a call to that, and then he gets attacked by wolves, and now he's just gonna kill them all and. He does escape after gutting one of them, which I don't like because I feel like Wolverine could get away without doing that. And then we get some Madripoor stuff where uh, Tiger Tiger and Archie, his uh, pilot pal, are being kidnapped by some uh, terrorists, refugees. I don't know what they are. And they end up crashing their plane and Wolverine happens to be nearby. And it pretty much leaves off there. Yeah. Uh, he, we think that maybe he killed, he snuck, uh, he grabbed Archie, ran him into the woods, and we think he killed him. I mean, I'm figuring that he didn't kill him, but, you know. Sure. The idea is that Wolverine lost his, went into his berserker mode and killed his good friend. That probably didn't happen. Yeah, that's that's not what happened. Yeah, and no. then we get the uh, that, that Scarlet Witch story continues as well. Um, well it ends, doesn't it? Yeah, she she works with her past self to send her into the future uh, where we will see what happens in the future because she still has to confront Time Master or whatever that guy's name was. I didn't read either of those. I did read the Deathlock story, but... Oh, that's right. There was a Deathlock story in this one. We don't do, do a Deathlock podcast. No. This was pre the Deathlock uh, it, limited series, right? It's a prologue. And I, I'm not sure. So, like, the original Deathlock, I think, was one guy. And then the 90s Deathlock is a different guy. And I think this little prologue uh, uh, bridges those two characters, sort oh, of. Cool. Yeah, it's a, it's a neat little five or six page story if you're, if you're into uh, Deathlock, which I guess I was. I don't know why. Maybe because he was Terminator looking. Maybe I just like I the name so. Deathlock. I don't know. It's cool. Cool idea, cool character. It's written by the same, written and drawn by the same creative staff that would ultimately do the Deathlock, most of the Deathlock run. So, I feel like I was into Ghost Rider and you were into Deathlock. Yep, and that was kind of our thing. And they crossed over. It was a crossover Probably. somewhere. Of course, they were. I think they were both in that Eric Larson Spider-Man. They might have been. Maybe. <laughs> Ghost Rider was probably in the pages of Deathlock, and vice versa. Probably a lot of cross promoting. Lots of this, that's how you sell comics. I feel like there was a Ghost Rider Deathlock Wolverine story, but I there don't. Was a, there was a Ghost Rider Punisher Wolverine story. 
Maybe that's what I'm they, thinking of. They all go to hell and <laughs> face off with Mephisto. Okay. And uh, Mephisto's son, whose name I can't remember, Blackheart maybe? I, I, don't don't know. I don't know. That's it though. Yeah, that is uh, that is what we read this week. So let us know what you're reading, what you think, by visiting us at www.xmenpodcast.com, going out to facebook.com forward slash Danger Room Podcast, Twitter at Danger Room Go, email dangerroom at xmenpodcast.com, or go out to iTunes or wherever you get your podcast to subscribe to us. And you can check out our ramblings on modern X-Men comics at our Patreon site, patreon.com forward slash danger room, where we talk about the current run of X-Men as well as other uh, uh, pop culture topical things. Actually, we mostly just talk about G.I. Joe Transformers and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. So if you want to hear more and more of that, that's where you should go. You know, there was a Ghostbusters Afterlife. There was a a reference to the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in which Pierce says, well, the timeline changed, but not that significant. Nobody's going to miss the fifth Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle. Which I thought was, I didn't fully understand that reference. Like, were they implying that there had always been a fifth Ninja Turtle and that it was no longer? Yeah. I feel like the original timeline included a fifth turtle, but because of the events uh, that Wolverine and Puck changed, the fifth turtle was dropped. Okay. I thought it was... I guess it's just a joke. It's it's, funny. It's fun. Topical, though, again, because people are like, what? Who? (laughs) Well, no, everybody knows who Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles are still, right? I suppose, yeah. they, They keep getting reinvented. I don't think he said fifth Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle, though. I think he said, like, fifth turtle. It wasn't like Ninja Turtles. So Ninja Turtles. It about. was vague enough, but but relevant enough that you're like, oh, okay. They don't want to say the whole trademarked name, but they can say enough of it to, for people to know what they're talking about. Oh, there was also a reference in New Mutants where Cannonball says, or Sunspot, one of the two says, oh, well, we got to move on besides Magnums and reruns. Which yeah. was like, that's a good callback. Yeah, because I used to watch Magnum PI. So yeah. they've they've grown up and yeah. now Magnum is in, yeah, it was a good, it was, yeah, it was a good one. Yeah. It's a good line. Good on you, Fabian Nicieza. Yep. Well, that's it, Adam. Uh, do you have anything else? I'm trying to find that Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles line. I want to see what exactly he says, but I can't find it. So, oh, well. Oh, here it is. Nobody's going to miss that fifth Ninja Turtle. So it was Ninja Turtle. Yeah. Close enough to for everybody to make the association. Yeah. All right. Well, then, uh, yeah. Do you have anything else, Adam? No, no, this has gone on pretty long. We we, we really uh, dived into the weeds on this one. As we, we generally do. That's true. Well, until next time, my name's Jerry. If we were known for anything, I suppose it would be that. Oh, uh, you know what? I guess before we sign off, I'll tease a little bit about what I want to talk about on the next Patreon, which is uh, all things current Doctor Who. Okay. Spider-Man. I haven't it's, seen it. Oh, well, then we won't talk about that. Uh, maybe, maybe I will have by the time we uh, I'm planning on seeing it this week so by the time we record I should have seen it sure uh, and uh, yeah whatever else so, comes up I guess are you like caught up caught up on Doctor Who I am okay then I'm 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 game so get ready to hear about that if you listen to us on Patreon oh yeah 
I'll, <laughs> I'll try to see Spider-Man so that we can talk about it. I've been I've been avoiding spoilers. I got one thing spoiled because the internet sucks. But you know, here's what I'll say about the spoilers, which is I won't spoil anything. Uh, I read enough, but also stayed away enough that I didn't really know what I read was going to be true and what wasn't going to be true. So in that regard, I was able to watch the movie with very little, with many surprises and very little uh, spoilers. I think I'll be the same way. Yeah. So we'll see. I don't know how many trailers and teasers you've watched, but you know, those things, if you watch them, obviously you knew were going to happen, but all the other things that maybe you read or heard from interviews and stuff. Uh, I didn't read any interviews. Any uh, the only the only spoiler I got was a picture on the internet because I was looking up some comic book covers and there was a picture from the movie and I was like, oh come on. <laughs> well, when and if we talk about it, I'd like to know what that picture was. Uh, right. But we'll we'll save that for the Patreon. So All right. until next time, my name's Jeremy. My name's Adam. And the danger room is closed. Yeah.